Hello, everyone, and welcome to Live from the Blue Seats. I'm your host, Rob, and I'll be joined shortly by Dave and Becky. On today's show, you'll hear the lengthy chat that Becky and I had with Rangers beat writer Vince Mercagliano. Uh, Vince gave us some great insight on a wide range of topics, including the current dynamic in the locker room, uh, some hot takes on advanced stats, and his thoughts on the looming February 4th trade deadline. Uh, But first, let's catch up on the uh, last two weeks in Ranger land and uh, Dave and Becky, I, let's just dive right in. Uh, Rangers come out of the All-Star break with a couple of games against Detroit. Uh, win both of those games, we get uh, a pretty comprehensive performance at home. Then we get a Henrik Lundqvist shutout on the road. But what were your kind of overall thoughts on the on the Detroit games before we kind of jump into some uh, reactions to what we just saw happen in uh, Dallas just a few minutes or with against Dallas just a few minutes ago? Becky, you want to start here? Sure. So, um, I, you were playing the worst team in the league, right? So, I guess um, you should win those games. That being said, not all teams always win those games. I mean, you know, Detroit's won a few times, so someone lost to them. Um, but it was really good. It was really fun to come out of the break. I mean, it was great to see Panarin back, although I, I wasn't actually too concerned about him being out felt more like he had some kind of nagging injury, wanted to miss, or not wanted to, but, you know, thought it would be the best bet to miss the All-Star game, took that last game against the Islanders, and and then came back fresh and ready to go against Detroit. Um, That game on Friday night was great, also because we had been without Rangers hockey for, what was it, like 10 days? It was too long. Yeah. Thank you, schedule Um, makers. Ugh, the worst. And now they just continue to play nonstop, right? It's kind of ridiculous. Um, but yeah, I like. It, there's nothing that particularly, like you know, sticks out to me about those two games, other than they played well. They played well against a team that was bad. You have to do that, no matter what. Um, I think that's a good sign. And um, I'll save my Dallas thoughts for after Dave kind of goes over <laughs> the Detroit games. So, I mean, there's not much else to really add to that. It's Detroit. They're not a good team. They would probably lose to half of the AHL teams. That's how bad they are. And it also looked like they just stopped caring, at the very least, in the first game. That yeah, sec- definitely. That second game, though, Detroit did pick it up a little bit. It, they did control a good amount of the pace of play. And that was the best we've seen Lundqvist look in a long time. And it's about time he got his first shutout in two calendar years. So <laughs> that's good. But they were tune-up games. And they're not a real barometer of what this team actually is, as we saw tonight against Dallas. Yeah, so well, before we get to that, uh, you mentioned the Lundqvist getting his first shutout since November 19th of 2017. So that's two full seasons and change ago. Uh, Artemi Panarin got to 70 points in his 49th game, which is just a historic pace by Rangers standards and uh, it's pretty damn good, as we know. The other big thing was the Kreider injury scare. Now, he skated before the Dallas game, but did not dress or play in the Dallas game. Uh, and I'll just kind of start on this one. This does worry me for a couple of reasons. Obviously, there's the impact that it could have on his on any potential trade if this is a serious injury. The other thing is, yes, the Rangers are saying it's not serious. It's great that he skated this morning, but we went through this with Mika Zibanejad uh, earlier this year, and that injury lasted a lot longer than everyone thought it would. And they kept saying it's not a concussion. It's not a concussion. It's quote-unquote upper body. And I think, you know, and, and you know, I know Zibanejad gave an interview and said, no, it wasn't a concussion. I guess it was a neck injury, but... I just get worried, especially, I mean, you know, watching the play, he got kneed in the head with a lot of force. So It's just um, Mika not wanting him to leave. I get it. I understand. Yeah. Hey, you're stealing my joke here, all right? I made that joke once. (laughs) (laughs) But it's, you know, obviously a a scary situation. And and obviously you want the the player to be healthy. And Kreider's been a force. Um, He's been awesome. And I think they missed him tonight. So... 
uh, as you're listening to this on Tuesday, uh, if you're listening when we drop this podcast, you're probably still steaming about that Dallas game. It was uh, not a great showing at home by the Rangers, although they started off well and really got derailed by penalties. But, you know, Dave, I, you know, you and I were tweeting back and forth a little bit during the game. Um, obviously, some defensive miscues, although the Rangers were pretty solid in the first period. They didn't allow Dallas very much. And it's also Dallas's style to play a very dull game with not a lot of shots and chances either way. So uh, what do you put this one down to? Is this lack of execution by the Rangers or was it was it a great performance by Dallas? This is the difference between a playoff team and the Rangers. There's not much yeah. else to add to that. It's just the Rangers are not a team that's going to succeed or excel in games like this where the pace of play is slowed to a crawl. Look at how they perform against Columbus all the time. It just doesn't bode well for them. And Dallas is a playoff team. The Rangers simply are not. And that's what you saw tonight, or if you're listening to this when we drop the podcast tomorrow, last night. It's what what you see is what you get with the Rangers. And when they're missing a Panarin or a Kreider, they're not going to look good and they're especially not going to look good when they're missing one of those players against the playoff team i just want to shout out that what you see is what you get is also a great song by britney spears (laughs) i think that's Uh, important judging you a little also i excuse you i completely agree with you that's the difference between a playoff team and not a playoff team they looked really good in the first period and i haven't even looked at any of the anything you know i mean we just for, for reference um, sake, we just, you know, hopped on to record this right after the game. So there's And right during a, a giant just... truck driving through. Well, yeah. I, live, I live on a busy street. Right? I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm not going to the library to record this. This is the best I can do. But um, oh, I forgot what I was saying. Oh, we this is, uh, you know, our feedback right now, at least my feedback right now is just raw emotion about, you know, how I felt from the game. But I also don't have many very strong knee jerk reactions to anything that this team is going to do this year, because if I have to say this every week, if I have to say this every day, it is a rebuild. Absolutely. A rebuild. Let it be just, you know. Understand there's going to be some stinkers and understand there's going to be some games that feel really, really good. Like that Islander series was really fun. And if you can find the joy in that and you can just kind of understand that, they're not going to win the Stanley Cup this year. I hope to God I'm wrong, but like uh, I really – I, I make some pretty silly bets thanks to New Jersey, but I would not bet that at this point. Yeah. No, um, well, absolutely. Just enjoy it. And – no, it's it's a it's a great point, and I think you know I I broke one of my New Year's resolutions tonight, and I really need to. Although Dave, I enjoyed going back and forth with you. We have a very like, you know, fun rapport, and and we're talking about real things. And I actually want to get your thoughts on Mark Stahl because we we uh, talked about him a little bit. But I was on Twitter, and just some of the knee jerk overreactions to not even a bad game or a bad period. I'm talking about a five minute stretch of hockey. People are going off the rails about like this defense is atrocious and the coaching staff doesn't know what it's doing. And look at this. And I'm getting screenshots of, of missed defensive coverages. And I just want to say to people, go watch a hockey game and point out to me one team that doesn't have any defensive breakdowns or give up any scoring chances in any game. It won't happen. The Rangers. Yes. Do they have more defensive lapses than the average team? They do. But as we'll talk about in the next, in the next segment, They've been much better in that area the last 25 games or so, the last two full months, pretty much. Um, People are demanding perfection from a flawed team that's in the middle of a rebuild. And even if when they finish this rebuild and they are quote-unquote competing, they're still going to give up a lot of scoring chances. The other thing about this that annoys me is that I think people uh, tend to uh, overlook the fact that goaltending is a huge part of the game. You know, we lived in this reality as Ranger fans where Lundqvist did uh, for years bail the team out of some, uh, you know, uh, some tough spots, and he probably lifted the performance of the overall team in a very significant way. But no team 
No team can win anything in the National Hockey League, any uh, a division, a playoff series, a Stanley Cup, without great goaltending. You're going to have breakdowns. Your goalie is going to be left on an island. There are going to be two-on-ones and three-on-twos. That's also what makes the sport great. There's going to be some back-and-forth action and chances on both ends. I, I don't understand what people want from this team. If they want zero scoring chances against per game, they should just give up and do something else with their time. Because... I'm sorry. Like it's it's unrealistic, and it it really got under my skin, as you can tell. Because uh, you know, uh, and, and again, I, I need to keep my New Year's resolution and not go on Twitter during these games because it's just insane. I, I mean, the Rangers actually controlled most of the first period and and a large chunk of the second period too. In that game, they got undone by stupid penalties the 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 bad interference penalty and then the bad David Quinn challenge. That, that's what turned this game. They were up one nothing in cruising. So, you know, again, we could talk about defensive lapses. And yeah, Mark Stahl, probably not a guy you want to lean on for heavy minutes. But he's also been a lot better lately. The team's been better lately. I, I think that pro- progress and process is more important than results at this point. Uh, Dave, I, I would love to get your thoughts. and Because uh, I don't really know where to end that rant. I can keep going. <laughs> well, for starters, uh, stop going on Twitter. Just stick to your I know. stick to your resolution and just ignore the comments, ignore Twitter. It's a cesspool. Uh, this the game aside. Now the Rangers have been playing significantly better, and one of the things that the three of us love to do is reply to Sean Tierney's or at Charting Hockey's posts on his daily threads that he posts, and we've been watching from October first. The Rangers went from the lower left corner to further into the lower left corner to off the chart bad. Then one of, I think it was Rob Luker that pointed out to us that the Rangers have been slowly getting better. And that's something that we've been stressing. And it's basically since December 12th or so that the Rangers all of a sudden look a lot better. And now we've been watching the Sean Tierney charts and the Rangers are drifting from bad to fun, which mm-hmm. means they're getting a lot of chances. They're also giving up a ton of chances, but their average age, I don't even think can legally buy a beer. <laughs> right. So that's what's, well, that's what's going to happen. And they're, de- they're also definitely giving up, I think a lower quantity of, of chances. I think, I still think they give up a fair bit of quality against, I mean, you know, I went through natural stat trick, which I know Sean pulls his data from evolving hockey. Evolving that, wild, yeah. Evolving, right. So the, the, these things might be different, but just to kind of rattle these off, this is actually going back to December 1st. By the way, since December 1st, including the loss versus Dallas, the Rangers are now 12, 13, and 1. So that's 26 games. Uh, so they are under 500, even though these are their numbers. Their Corsi is 49.9. These are all score and venue adjusted, 5v5 numbers only. 49.19 is 15th of 31 in the league. They are actually an above average, barely, Corsi team, which is it's the first time I think we could say that since 2015. Yeah. Their expected goals percentage uh, is 47.67. That's 23rd out of 31. Again, they were in the basement in October and November. Scoring chances for 19th out of 31. Uh, they're getting 49% of the scoring chances at even strength or at 5v5. And high danger chances, so taking out the sort of medium danger shots and focusing only on the ones from immediately in front of the goalie, they are actually on the right side. They're above water. They're 50.33% of the high danger chances in each game. So they are generating a decent amount of offense and they are, you know, look that what that basically tells you if they're getting nine scoring chances or nine high danger chances a game, they're giving up nine high danger chances a game with their goaltending, which has been elite for the last decade plus with Henrik Lundqvist and projects to be similar going forward with what we've seen from Shesterkin. They should be a really good team. What's on, on been their undoing has been uncharacteristically average goaltending. Their their save percentage is middle of the pack right now. Normally, you can count on the Rangers being a top five, top eight save percentage team. Their goaltending has been their undoing, and that's something that Rob Luker has pointed out as well in his kind of weekly updates um, for us. So it's a really interesting thing, and, and I think if you're a Ranger fan, what you have to hang your hat on is keep doing this and hope that the goaltending comes around. Yeah, um, I want to expand on the goaltending bit because that came up in the goal breakdown that is by the time you guys listen to this posted. The... Oh my God, what the hell was I going to say? Well, the, in the Dallas game you're talking about? The goals yeah, the, the Dallas game. Up. Sorry. So when 
Henrik Lundqvist is on. He is on, and you expect him to make a couple of those deflection saves. You expect him to maybe get the Steven John shot. But in a game like this where he's not Henrik Lundqvist and he's more average and human, he lets those in. And there's a difference between elite goaltending and human goaltending. Human goaltending allows the Pavelski deflection, the first one. Human goaltending allows the Steven Johns blast from the point. You know, you give you, you tap your stick to Blake Como and that shot that was just a that yeah. perfect shot. But Henrik Lundqvist of five years ago or even sooner makes those saves. He doesn't right now. Only in this stretch, he was making those saves in November. It's yep. You know, everyone talks about streakiness of Chris Kreider and Pavel Buchnevich and everybody else. Goaltending is streaky as well, but. For the past 15 years, Lundqvist has been streaky, very good, or elite. And we've never seen streaky Lundqvist of average to elite. That's yeah. the difference. And also, so he got pulled tonight. Um, Sam and Joe were sort of half speculating, oh, maybe he's injured. I think they might have just been covering for him. I My take on that was that David Quinn uh, pulled him just to wake the rest of the team up because they weren't really generating much. But, Becky, what were your thoughts on Henrik getting the uh, the hook in the for the third period? Uh, it was surprising. I thought, like, I mean, you and I discussed this, but, you know, two of the goals were power play. One of the goals he didn't even see, and one maybe he should have stopped. But uh, I wouldn't have necessarily pulled him if I were Quinn. Then again, it's not like the most egregious thing I've ever seen in my entire life. Um. And it's funny, you know, you were you were talking before about if you want to see no scoring chances against, like, just don't even watch hockey. Well, like maybe watch the Columbus Blue Jackets, mm-hmm. who are coached by or John Dallas, <laughs> who yeah. people hated and wanted fired because he would pull Lundqvist. Like, it's <laughs> <laughs> time is a flat circle. Is that what is it? I don't even know. I'm just yeah, that, it, but <laughs> no, that that was good. That was right. <laughs> but I mean. It, Okay, yeah, he was benched. It was kind of weird. I was taken aback, but like I said before, I'm not going to lose my mind over it because it's not a real problem. Guys, so. we, yeah, well, we know why Lundqvist was benched. By the time he was benched, news had hit the Rangers that Freddie Anderson was out with a concussion in Toronto, or what seems to be a concussion in Toronto. And with Toronto coming to the Garden on Wednesday, they need to showcase Georgiev for the trade, and Georgiev is going to start against the Rangers on Wednesday. Let's be real. That's why they need wow. wow. That would be incredible. That would be hilarious uh, if I'm actually right, but I'm mostly being facetious here. Well, listen, I mean, uh, you know, the other thing is, and credit to Dallas, too. I think, look, that is a team that plays a certain style. They remind you of the Tortorella Blue Jackets. They reminded me of the Jacques Lemaire Minnesota Wild. Again, one of the most boring teams in <laughs> in, in in hockey history all Boy. those years. I mean, that was like watching paint dry. And that was Dallas clogs everything up in the middle. The Rangers could get nothing done through the neutral zone. Uh, Quinn jumbled the lines. I have no problem with that. I mean, you know, it gives me a little bit of stress watching the game because i'm like what is the sort of you know what's what's now going to be today's talking point which player is getting kicked to the fourth line and who's how's the fan base going to melt down but look coaches jumble lines especially when you haven't scored it at even strength which by the way the rangers now haven't in two games they had three power play goals tonight they had one power play goal against detroit they haven't scored an even strength in two full games so uh i i don't mind making adjustments by uh the coach there either and that is also out yeah, right. that's a product of shooting percentage probably coming down because they are getting chances. They just yeah. haven't capitalized. And they looked great that in the balance, first period. Yeah, that balance is out. It's just luck isn't with them right now. And that is a little bit of puck luck. Just look at Pavel Buchnevich, who, again, I keep going back to him, couldn't score to save his life. He'd have pucks get through and just like hit a patch of ice shavings and go wide. Meanwhile, on this one, he scores on a pass. Yeah. It, it yeah. ebbs and flows, and there's no reason to get all worked up, as Becky was saying, in a rebuild. It is what it is. Enjoy the ride. Have a couple of drinks. Smoke some weed. Relax. 
<laughs> so real quick, uh, before we go to the Vince interview, which is really fascinating and uh, just up front, want to really thank Vince for giving him so much, uh, giving us, sorry, so much of his time. We expected to talk to him for maybe 15, 20 minutes. The interview lasted almost an hour. Well, you're going to hear all of it. So please uh, stay tuned for it. It's, it's coming right up. But just to kind of check in on where the Rangers stand as we as we uh, close things down here on Monday night and you get to listening to this on Tuesday, the Rangers are uh, they are currently uh, excuse me, nine points out of a playoff spot. They sit at 25 wins, 22 losses, four overtime losses, and an even goal differential. So it 166 goals for, 166 against. So it really doesn't get much more mediocre than that. And I know, look, I'd love to see this team make the playoffs. I do think they have a run in them, as I said on our last show. But also, let's be realistic here. Um you know, nine points out of a playoff spot with with 31 games to go and, and a whole lot of teams ahead of you. Uh, it's a tall order. So um, and really, in order for them to make that run, they, they really needed to kind of not lose any of these upcoming home games in regulation. And, and of course, they lost in regulation to Dallas tonight. So a tough one uh, to open this four game homestand. Uh, before we go to Vince, any final thoughts from you, Dave? So playoffs are always a thing that comes up. And everybody, not everybody, there was a very loud subsect of the fan base that at the beginning of the year thought the Rangers were a playoff team. And a lot of people still do. The math on this just doesn't work out. The Rangers have to average a point and a half per game for the rest of the season to get the 98 points, which is what made the playoffs last year as the second wild card. Now, if they were in the West, sure, maybe, but they're not. And mathematically speaking, this regulation loss to Dallas crushed them. It did. They can't afford zero points in any game when you have to average a point and a half. Yeah, especially home games. And and they have been rather pedestrian at home. I mean, you look at that record, 14-11-2 at home, and they have no, their win total is what it is. They're not, they have no shootout wins in there. Um, You know, and that's, that's going to end up being the difference. The team that gets in is probably going to have a couple of shootout wins that they that they lucked out getting that contributes to their final point total. So, doesn't seem to be going the Rangers' way, and they really have their work cut out for them the next uh, the next couple of months here. Uh, Becky, any any final thoughts from you? No, just you know, try to enjoy it. It's really not that bad. And if it's that bad, and you're doing this for leisure, try to find a new hobby. Wise words as always. All right, so. Uh, We are going to take just a little break. You're going to hear a little bit of music. And then when we come back, you'll hear our interview with Vince Mercagliano. Okay, joining us on Live from the Blue Seats, it is our very first guest on the podcast, Vince Mercagliano. Vince is the voice, uh, is the New York Rangers reporter and NHL analyst for uh, the USA Today Network which includes Loha.com and NorthJersey.com. He is a 10-year veteran of the business and is in his first season on the Rangers beat. Welcome, Vince, and thank you for being the inaugural guest here on Live from the Blue Seats. Yeah, I didn't rece- I didn't realize I was going to receive such a high honor being the first guest, but uh, happy to be here. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks for taking the time. Uh, and let's let's jump right into it. So uh, as I said, you, you've, you've been doing this for 10 years, but this is your... Uh, your first season um, on the Rangers beat. So what did you do actually before you started covering hockey? Uh, I did a lot of different things. Um, I came out of college uh, in 09, which is right around the time of the recession and and a lot of the realities of the difficulties of the journalism business kind of setting in. So I, I bounced around and did quite a few things. I took internships. I worked for Cablevision. I did some radio stuff. Um, but writing was always kind of my passion, uh, and an opportunity came at the time for the Journal News, which is Loha.com, uh, and I took a part-time sports reporting gig there in about a year or so. That turned into a full-time gig. I, I did a lot of local high school-type coverage is where I got my start. Eventually, I got to kind of dip my toe in with the professional sports. I actually did a lot of baseball. I was like one of our 
backup guys for the Yankees, so I would go to most of their home games. Uh, eventually, my position evolved to uh, where I was basically the sports editor. We called it the team leader. Uh, I managed our staff of reporters for the last couple of years and also worked on columns and features and a lot of the bigger stories that I wanted to keep doing to continue my writing. And then uh, this opportunity with the Rangers came along uh, in the spring. I accepted the job around May uh, of uh, 2019, and it was one of those things where uh, I was happy with what I was doing and I was enjoying the editor side of things, but I always in the back of my mind wanted to take a chance at, at a professional beat uh, if it was the right opportunity. And the Rangers were the team that I knew best. I followed them since I was a kid. And I, I kind of had that feeling where, you know, I knew it was going to be a total lifestyle change. I knew it was going to require a lot of travel and really turn my life upside down in a lot of ways. But I felt like you know, I had a burning passion to try it. And if I didn't, I would always kind of wonder what if. So it felt like the right timing. And, and now here I am. Awesome. That's a great story. Uh, so safe to say that you were a fan of the team growing up? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, that was the team that I grew up following. I grew up in Westchester County, not too far from the city, uh, New Rochelle, New York, to be to be exact. And, and the Rangers were definitely my team as a kid. I mean, I my most vivid early hockey memories are going to the Garden in 94 before they won the cup and then kind of i was like seven at the time that they won the cup so i had those are like mm. some of my earliest hockey memories were then um so yeah i the rangers were the only team that i followed or, or you know attended games to and that sort of thing as a kid for sure and so have you found it hard and this is something i think I, i've always wanted to ask somebody who is is on the beat have you found it hard to sort of separate the fact that you were a fan and probably would be a fan if you weren't working uh on the beat have you found that hard to kind of separate that out professionally and kind of keep the neutral uh, stance that a reporter has to have? Truthfully, no. Um, and there's a few there's a few reasons for that. I, I think part of it is that as a fan, you know, I guess the tendency could be to give the team favorable coverage because, you know, you. you you grew up liking that team and you have all these fond memories, but at the same time, I feel like sometimes fans can be the harshest critics. Um, and you, you know, when you know the team really well, you, you, you kind of have a way of, of looking at the big picture, I think. And, and especially as I, you know, came to learn a lot, especially in the last year or so, since I was bracing myself for this job of the inner workings of management and the minor league system and prospects and all that, it gives you kind of a big picture view. But beyond that, I also think that I probably more than any team, or at least probably my top two was a, was a huge Yankees fan as a kid. And those were the glory days for the Yankees. So it was kind of hard not to be at that point. But when I started covering the Yankees a lot, I quickly learned how to separate the two. And, mm -hmm. and, and I think that that was a really good experience for me. And I also think that in a position like this and I, I learning, you know, going through journalism school and, and knowing what I know about what in my mind is important to, to, to be a good reporter and to be a good journalist you take a lot of pride in that professionalism and in kind of, you know, always trying to be as objective and neutral as possible. And I think that that's come pretty naturally to me, quite honestly. So I think that my over the, you know, the course of my experience in the last 10 years as a journalist, getting to cover the Yankees and just kind of the the importance that I put on journalistic principles. I think that honestly, it really hasn't been that difficult for me. Cool. Yeah. I mean, it's like I said, it's something that I, I've always kind of wondered about uh, and I appreciate your kind of insight into that. All right. So, and, and, you know, and quite frankly, just to add to that, like I even even before I had this job, like I don't I, I, I think it's because of my role as a reporter. I haven't lived and died with the result of games the way that I did when I was 12, 13, 14 years old. You right. know, I'm in my I'm in my 30s. I'm in my 30s now and, and working in this business now for more than 10 years. I, I just think you kind of get desensitized to that. Yeah, I, I could definitely see that. Um, cool. So let's let's talk about the Rangers. Uh, and just as a kind of general start, how has your first year been? Kind of tell us a little bit about it. Um, and, you know, specifically, has anything surprised you now that you've gotten such an inside look at a team that you knew intimately as a fan, as you just detailed? Uh, but now that you're on the inside, you're covering it on a day to day basis as a reporter. Again, how's the first year been? Any surprises, any kind of interesting kind of anecdotes to kick off? Yeah, well, uh, the first part of the question, 
I think the timing was great. Like I said, I took the job in May. It was shortly after the previous season ended. So I had the, you know, I was ready and I was able to go out to Vancouver for the draft. I was able to get a lot of FaceTime right out of the gate with Jeff Gordon. Uh, I was able to introduce myself to all the key players that work for the teams over the course of the summer. I was able to do a ton of research and really buckle down. And that way, by the time training camp rolled around, I had been doing the job for months and I really felt like I was rock and rolling and ready to go fully prepped. So I think the timing really helped me in that sense. I, you know, I, I would, I wouldn't envy somebody who took the job in let's say August or September, because that would be a really quick turnaround. But yeah. I was, I, I felt like it, it really fell into place nicely for me in that respect. In terms of what surprised me being around the team, um, I mean, you know, you knew it was going to be a grind, but I think experiencing like I've basically been working seven days a week since Labor Day, I think really experiencing that firsthand and all the traveling and, you know, all the all the different things that come with, you know, all these various airports and visiting all these various cities and sometimes waking up and not sure, you know, which city you're in and (laughs) The crazy hours that it comes with, um, I think like you can brace yourself for that all you want, but until you actually experience it, it it's a totally different ball game. Um, and you know all the different life challenges that come with that, whether it's you know family, friends. I I moved in with my girlfriend in September, right around the time the training camp was starting. So that was I was glad we got it done before training camp started, and it's been great. And in a lot of ways, it's been a blessing because I think had we been living apart during this time, it would have been difficult to manage the you know okay, when am I staying at your place? When are you staying at my place? I got to go on the road tomorrow. Now it's been great to be able to come home and just kind of be there for each other. And she's also a reporter, uh, so she's very understanding of the of the hectic schedule. So on a personal side, that's that's kind of been what I've gone through. But for, in terms of like, you know, what I've observed with the team, um, it, it's been really cool just to like be around the players every day. Um, you know, you, at first, obviously, I think there's kind of a, a period where they're trying to figure out how much they can trust you and what kind of guy you are. And, you know, there has to be a certain professionalism and, and you have to everybody around the team, whether it's the players, the coaches, the management. I think that, that you have to kind of establish that, you know, you are going to be objective at all times and that you are going to sometimes have to ask the tough questions. And I think that they respect that, but you also need to find ways to relate to them and you need to build relationships and you need to show them that you're trustworthy and off the record means off the record. And that, um, you know, when you are talking on the record that you're always going to be fair. Um, so, so that's kind of, you know, one of the things that I feel like is, is a delicate thing to balance, but it's been a lot of fun because there's so many different personalities to deal with. And, uh, I personally am fascinated by the inner workings of the front office. Like, I feel like if I wasn't a reporter, my dream job would have been to work in the front office for a professional team. And that's been really cool for me to kind of learn what goes on and all the different moving parts that happen when like just today I'm working on my trade deadline preview that we're going to publish this week as we look ahead to the second half of the season and what the Rangers might do going into February 24th. And I just feel like I've learned so much about managing the salary cap and, you know, dealing with prospects and dealing with, I just went up and spent a day with uh, the Hartford minor league team and just, you know, all the different moving parts, even for that team. And then, you know, how that feeds into the Rangers, how they communicate each day, whether it's Chris Jury going to Jeff Gorton or John Davidson and um, just all the different things that come with managing a team. I think that's been pretty eye opening. And I find that stuff absolutely fascinating. That sounds great. Actually, I, we were we actually just went and caught a game in Hartford also. And it's like it's kind of a beautiful thing um, during the bye week to be able to to still watch hockey because you really start getting or I start getting withdrawal. I don't know about you, but you're probably like, this is a nice break. It is, it is a nice, it is a nice break, but I was grateful because I've been wanting to get up there for a while. But with this schedule with the Rangers, it's very difficult to do. So I was grateful yeah. to have a few days where I could devote a full day to kind of. I mean, I got to talk to like seven or eight different players, spent some time with Chris Drury, spent spent some time with the coach Chris Knobloch, and I hadn't met Knobloch before, so uh, I was really glad to be able to get up there and do that. Yeah, that sounds great. So hey, so just kind of uh, elaborating on what you were saying about you know, being able, you know, it's it's a delicate balance in the locker room. You want to be trustworthy, but you also need to maintain, you know, you have to stay objective. Um, just whatever you can share, what, how do you, how do you feel the dynamic is in the locker room? Like, are there, uh, would you characterize it in any specific way? 
I, th- I think they're a pretty tight-knit group of guys, and I think that you've seen that grow over the course of the season. I, you know, to, In the beginning, there were a lot of new faces for them and a lot of young kids. I, I think what we've definitely seen is the young guys have really bonded and tried to form this, this tight group together. Like you see, we used to joke – with the seven, they had seven guys who were 21 or younger mm-hmm. uh, make the make the team out of training camp, and those guys, it was almost like a point of pride for them, or I, you know, whatever you want to call it. But every single day after practice, those guys would stay on the ice together. They would always be the last ones off. Capo Caco was like he was like the guy who would stay out there the latest. It was almost like a, a challenge <laughs> to see who could stay out there later than him. But um, <laughs> I, I I think that we've seen those guys. I mean, they they. I don't know how much they would say this publicly because players are very much in the one day at a time, you know, we yeah. gotta not look ahead kind of cliche stuff. Yeah. But I think that deep down, those guys know that they're the future of this franchise and that they feel like it's important that they take ownership of that and that they kind of come together. I know that like Ryan Lindgren has told me that he relies on Adam Fox to show him around the city. And, oh. and that like a, a lot of those guys kind of look out for each other outside of the locker room. Um, the veterans has been interesting because Uh, You know, they all look up to Hank. Hank is clearly the man in that locker room. Mm -hmm. But I think that Hank isn't totally, you know, I think he he wants to have relationships with the guys. And I think that he's he's a very open, honest guy to talk to. But I think that he's a a little bit uncomfortable at times with like um, feeling like there's pressure on him to be a mentor, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I, I think he just wants to go about his business, work hard, um, you know, be there for his teammates. Absolutely. But not feel like he has to be a, another coach to them. If they come to him, he's glad to talk to them, but I don't think that he necessarily um, wants to go outside of being a player at this point. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it, it's, like that, annoying. like, yeah, ex- exactly. But so, I mean, you know, him and guys like Mark Stahl and guys like Chris Kreider, uh, they very much have that like elder statesman role. Uh, I think a lot of the players look up to them um, and it's different, you know, because I think you have one guy at each position, so to speak. So Stahl kind of takes that role for the defenseman. Kreider kind of takes that role for the forwards. And then Hank takes that role for the whole team, really. Um, right. And then uh but then, you know, Mika is the guy that I, I believe eventually will be the captain. I mean, he's really kind of the soft-spoken leader of that group. I think Kreider and Stahl and Hank might be slightly more vocal. But Mika, I think everybody kind of takes their cues from Mika in a lot of different ways. And, you know, even like when I found out that Leas Anderson was living with him, I know that whole situation mm-hmm. went went south with Leas. But just Mika does those little things behind the scenes that don't get publicized, but he's the kind of guy that's going to walk over to a teammate in private and say, Hey, if you need a place to stay, you know, my couch is open to you or my guest. I'm sure he, I'm sure it's a guest. Yeah. Yeah. But so, you know, I, I think that it, there's interesting dynamics because there's a lot of different personalities like, like Tony D'Angelo and Brendan Lemieux are the loudest voices in the room for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are, those guys are kind of like the jokesters. I think Ryan Strom in a lot of ways has really evolved as a leader because the team is so young. He's, he's only 26 and he's only been here for a short period of time. But I think that there are a lot of young players who take cues from him and look up to him as well. So it, it's evolving. Um, right. yeah. You know, and I also think that, that I would add right now, they are feeling the pressure slash urgency of the trade deadline coming up. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Right. I think the first few months of the season, they were very much focused on the task at hand. And, and they all openly talked about wanting to make the playoffs. But I think that they, there's a growing sense of frustration around the, you know, Mika Zabinajad and I had this conversation a couple of weeks ago where he finally went out of the one game at a time thing and was like, mm-hmm. listen, we're not going to get to where we want to get to if it's win one, lose one, win two, lose one. Like we need to get on a roll here. And yeah. I think that that's because they, you know, they know deep down that if they don't, that the possibility of a guy like Kreider getting traded increases and they don't want that. They, they definitely want to stay together and they definitely feel like this group has the potential to grow together and become a better team over the course of time. Um, so lately I think that there's been a little bit more of a like, the losses have been stinging more recently, if that makes sense. It definitely does, yeah. And I think it's it's great to hear that they're so tight because um, they really they really appear to be from a fan's perspective. Um, do you have someone on the team, like players, coaches, personnel, everyone, to be like a particularly great interview or someone that you can is just kind of like your go to that 
if it's kind of like a boring game or something, you know, you're going to get a, a good quote out of. Well, you know, the, the, I think those veterans that I spoke of, um, mm-hmm. Hank, Hank Stahl, Kreider, Mika, and even Strom to an extent, like those are probably the five guys that make themselves available most often. Like after mm-hmm. a tough, after a tough loss, you, you walk into the locker room and a lot of the younger guys are like kind of in the back. There's a weight room in the back. They always do post game workouts and like, you know, I think those guys aren't entirely comfortable dealing with the media in, in, in those tough moments at this point. Right. And they kind of, and they kind of defer to the veterans. So those five that I just mentioned are the guys that make themselves available most often. Uh, but in terms of like colorful interviews, mm-hmm. um, you know, some of those guys can be kind of cliche and a little bland at times, you know, I, yeah, I, think, oh yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think over the course of the time that I've gotten to know them and I'm sure the reporters that have been around longer than me would, would have even more to say about this, but um, you know, you'll find moments, especially one on one settings where you can get them to open up more. I think that there's definitely a difference between sitting with a guy one on one and then a situation where there's a scrum of reporters and cameras and all that. They're going to bottle up a little more in those bigger situations. Um, but in terms of the color for personalities, I mean, I mentioned Lemieux. I mentioned D'Angelo like Tony. Tony, really, I know he's got this like kind of uh, lightning rod personality through social media and all that. But Tony will talk about anything. And as a reporter, you respect that. Like you like that you can go up to a guy and get a a pretty frank, honest answer that doesn't necessarily fit into the cookie cutter mold. Um, So so Tony's a guy that uh, like I did a story on him that I had a lot of fun with early in the season just about how players use social media and him in particular. And he was like like that conversation was just one where like. It was it, anything went and you were, you know, again, you were, you appreciate that as a reporter. Um, Strom too, like Strom has had some really, I think that he is really enjoying this season and feeling comfortable in his own skin in a way that he never has before. So he's been a guy that I feel like we've gotten some really good, honest quotes out of over the course of the season. Um, those are probably some of the guys that stand out. I'm sure I'm missing a couple because, uh, there's so many guys in there, but yeah, yeah. Th- those yeah. Th- 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 those are those are probably some of the guys that I would say uh, I- I've had some of the the most interesting conversations with. Well, you mentioned Tony and Strom, obviously, uh, in that kind of you know guys who are are vocal and speak up. Um, you know, there was a little bit of a I don't know if we can call it an incident, but uh, Tony kind of came to Strom's defense and it was actually one of our colleagues at the, at Blue Seat Blogs was Rob Luker who had posted a chart, um, that sort of detailed Strom's shot metrics versus his results. And, you know, positing that maybe he's a guy to look into selling high on. Obviously Tony came very publicly to his defense. Uh, it was ended up being a pretty entertaining thing, although it illustrated what is a pretty big, um, point of contention in the fan base, which is, old school versus new school analytics versus kind of eye test. Uh, so I wanted to ask you a couple of questions on that, but first of all, what was your takeaway from that whole episode? Cause you were kind of right in the middle of it and, and you, you for one are not shy uh, debating people on Twitter as long as it doesn't get nasty. So I just kind of want to get, yeah, we, I think we, we appreciate that by the way. And I think uh, healthy discourse, even around something as trivial uh, as hockey is good. And I, I think there's probably not enough of it in the world right now, but uh, so what was your kind of thought and takeaway from that whole episode, which I, I can imagine you remember well? Yeah, well, I mean, to me, the beauty of sports is that it's something for us to talk about and debate about. And I'm I'm the type who loves a good spirited debate. Like I find I know some people get uncomfortable in those situations and sometimes through through social media and especially through Twitter, interpreting tone can be difficult. So I you know, I, I would definitely like to make it clear that I I'm, most of the time I'm either uh you know, engaging in debate because I think that it, it's fun and it's it's important for sports and that's why we love sports. And sometimes it's tongue in cheek, just having a little fun. I never take it too, too seriously. So I, I definitely would want to make that clear. Um, but in terms of the incident with Tony, I mean, well, that's one of the things like, you know, so I, I obviously observed that on, I, I, I think I was in Montreal coming back that day when uh, Tony quoted the tweet. And, you know, Tony's definitely not afraid to clap back with fans on Twitter before. Definitely and him not. and I, him and I have talked about it. So obviously, you know, I could speculate on what he meant, but I went right to the source and asked him and I said, you know, what was going on with that? What were your intentions? Um, And again, Tony was honest about it. I I think that a lot of players will tell you they don't look at that stuff. Tony's not like that. Tony will tell you that he looks at it. He loves social media. He scrolls it all the time. I'm pretty sure that 
I don't know how often, but sometimes he searches his own name just to see what people are saying about him. And right. that's probably that's probably how he found that tweet that day. Um, so, you know, I I think that his instinct in the moment was him and Strom are close. So that needs to be stated right off the bat. And his instinct was he's probably read a lot of the whether it's blog posts or Twitter chatter or whatever, where people are questioning, you know, is Ryan Strom's production sustainable? Should the Rangers trade him while his value is highest and all that kind of stuff? And Tony felt the need to defend him. And I think it was really as simple as that. But with that being said, I do know that Tony gets enjoyment out of rocking the boat. I think that he likes <laughs> being it. He likes being in the middle of the fray, and he's admitted that to me before. Uh, so I think that, you know, we've joked before because – I, at one point, I asked him about the po- the political stuff, and you know, like, w- what benefit do you see in getting into getting into that uh, publicly? And he's like, yeah, you know, I know I really shouldn't. I'm trying to cut back on it. And then he did it a little bit more after we had that conversation. So I went back to him. I was like, I thought you said you weren't doing that anymore. And he's like, <laughs> and he was like, yeah, I can't help myself. So he likes to stir the pot. I mean, that that's got to be clear. But I also think that he's not taking it too seriously. He is, for the most part poking people that he knows he'll get a reaction out of because he likes to stir the pot and, and have fun with that sort of thing. But I, I, you know, I know people have very strong opinions on him. Um, I definitely, definitely won't touch the political stuff. I'm not gonna, you know, that, that we, we've had very limited conversations with that and it has not involved what my viewpoint is on anything. Cause I'm not at Liberty. Uh, you know, I'm not getting into any of that obviously with him, but um, I, you know, I, I, I think that people that let him, get them really worked up are probably the type of people he's trying to get a reaction out of. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, I, I, I don't think it should be taken that seriously. And especially when it came to the Strome thing, I think more than anything, that was him just defending a teammate. Yeah. Yeah, Sounds definitely. Spot on. Yeah. Yeah. And so the other question I, I had that kind of sort of is an offshoot to that, and it was more generally about, about analytics. So there has been an ongoing uh, discussion amongst the fan base uh, and I've been part of that discussion, you know, not that I have a huge voice on Twitter, but I've got certainly gotten into it with people. Um, and I think I'm genuinely curious about to what extent do the Rangers value analytics, use analytics? Uh, when JD took over, I think he said in his first pre- press conference un- unprompted, we're going to invest in things like analytics. I do, you know, sort of insinuating that it wasn't really an area that they had paid much attention to. Most of the publicly available data does not flatter the Rangers, as you know, Um I believe in in that stuff, but I also do think that there's a whole lot of stuff that we don't know. I think that a lot of the shot location data, for instance, is is very inaccurate. If you just look at some of the charts after a game, they'll say a goal was scored from a certain area, and then the chart is completely opposite of what you saw in the game. Um, so, I, but I just want to get a sense from you, um, from your perspective, are they how how do the Rangers use kind of analytics, advanced stats, that kind of thing, and are they committing to it as an organization long term? Yeah, well, I've I've quite you know I've tried to do a lot of digging on this in my time on the beat, and I know that the Rangers. I can say definitively, the Rangers do have an analytics department, but. I will say that I've gotten pushback from certain people in the organization about certain stats that I know they do not value that much. Uh, I, I will also tell you this, that it has been made very clear to me from people who work in the organization that they don't. So the stats that a lot of people look on, look at online, the Rangers don't look at that stuff. Their analytics department is in charge of tracking those stats themselves. Right. David Quinn, because I've, I've asked David Quinn about this on a few different occasions, and he's made it very clear. We're not looking at the when I've referenced stats that I see, he's made it very clear. We're not looking at the same stats. They are their analytics department. Uh, they they come up with all their own stuff. And from what I'm told, it sometimes does not match up with what we see on the various sites. And I've signed up for a lot of these sites. I look at a lot of this stuff. I've been trying to absorb as much as I can and learn as much as I can about the world of hockey analytics. Um, I know that the Rangers, they judge themselves when it comes to advanced stats. The number one stat that they judge themselves on is scoring chances. And they, you know, like many sites do, they separate regular scoring chances from high danger scoring chances. And that is the main thing that Quinn looks at when he's judging, for example, defensive performance. Um, they do not seem to, at least as far as I can tell and from the sources that I have, put a whole lot of stock into things like expected goal rates. Um, they're much more, they're, they're much heavier on looking at scoring chances and why are we giving up scoring chances? How many high danger scoring chances are we giving up? 
Um, so I don't think that they are quite as um, ingrained in it as as other teams are. I, I've talked to people, other people around the league who have told me, who have pointed to other organizations as, as organizations that put a little more stock into it. I think the Rangers are evolving in some senses, uh, but I do I will say that they're pretty they're pretty not close minded, but they're pretty they they haven't they don't really want us to know a whole lot about what they value and what they don't. You know what I mean? Like they, yeah. they, they, they kind of play it close to the vest. I know they have an analytics department. I know that it's been made clear to me that they keep their own stats and that they do not look at the various websites that a lot of fans and, and writers like me look at. Um, I mean, you know, for us, it's all we have to go off of because the Rangers aren't exactly making their stats publicly available all the time. Um, but there's been a there has been a little pushback, I will tell you, when I've written or referenced certain stats from people in the organization saying to me, like, hey, we don't really put a lot of stock into that stat. Hmm. So interesting. And, and I'll also add this because I, I find it funny how fired up people get about the, you know, the eye test versus analytics. Like if you're if you're not balancing both, you're probably not doing it right. Like, uh, you know, I, I look at the I, I look at everything. Obviously, I watch every second of every game. That's my job now. But I also am really intrigued about learning more about analytics. And I think that there has to be a healthy balance. And I think that this, you know, like certain tweets where I've responded to people and said, you know, hey, maybe this stat doesn't tell the whole story. <laughs> it's funny to see all the replies where people are like, "Oh, you're one of those eye test guys. You hate analytics." <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like, no, yeah. I'm not saying I'm not saying that I hate analytics. I'm just saying I think there's more to the story than just whatever this particular stat you're you're, you're throwing at me is saying. With that said, I think the people that only you know that get all mad and say, "Oh, you know, uh, these analytics people are nerds and their opinions are meaningless," like that is also ridiculous. Like there has to be a healthy balance of both. And if you're only looking at one or only looking at the other, then you're, you're, you're not getting the whole picture. So uh, yeah. I would definitely like to make that clear because it has been kind of, uh, I've had a chuckle to myself at, at, at points where people, cause I've, I've had both extremes where people are telling me that I'm looking too much at the analytics and people are telling me that I'm ignoring analytics when the truth is that, especially in my position, I need to balance both, but that I also really what I try to communicate to the fans more than anything is that there is a human element to this stuff. And that, you know, Mm -hmm. I have the, the benefit of being able to go directly to a player and say, Hey, what happened here? What's going through your mind here? I've asked players how much they value certain stats. I can tell you, I had an extended conversation with Lundquist about this and he he reiterated what the organization has said to me that as far as he's concerned, it's all about scoring chances. How many are we giving up? And from his perspective, when I'm seeing them, am I stopping them? Um, So I I, I don't, I, I, I can tell you that like, you know, I've referenced expected goal rates in, in some of my stories, but I can tell you that I know people that I've – a few different people that I've talked to in the organization are skeptical about that. They're skeptical about um, like expected goals against when it comes to goaltenders. I know that, that those stats look really good, especially for Hank, but I, I don't think that they're sold on the accuracy and the value of those stats quite yet. And I, I whatever, whatever their analytics department does, uh, that's the information that's communicated to Quinn and to the, you know, Gorton and the other people in the organization and they definitely use it. Uh, but, but which stats they value and which they don't, they're a little, they're a little, uh, closed off about that. They don't want us knowing everything that they know, so to speak. Seems fair. Um, all right. So just, you had written, uh, earlier or, you know, early in January about, uh, Capo Caco, and be about like his kind of struggles, I guess you call them, and how he's adapting to playing in the in the NHL. It was a really great read. I mean, I really enjoyed it. That was really well done. Um, what is your assessment of his performance so far this season? And kind of what do you see, maybe not like for his career, but you know, in the next season or two from him? It, it's it's been up and down, and, and I'm sure a million different people have said this in different ways, but that's to be expected. Um, you know, I think anybody that thought that he was going to come in and score 30, 40 goals in his first season, they were obviously kidding themselves. Um, it, it, it's inconsistent. I think he's still, and he's 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 admitting this now. I think more than he was earlier in the season that it's not going to come easy. He still has a lot to learn, and that playing this game at this level is much different than anything he's ever experienced. I really do think that there's something, especially with a player like him, who 
his strengths are clearly uh, he's great at controlling the puck. He's great at uh, finding the right pass, his vision, uh, but he doesn't have the time and space that he had to operate when he was playing in Finland, and I think that that's been a major adjustment for him, not just because the decision-making has to be quicker and he can't hold the puck as he, as he as long as he used to, but the physicality of it. He's not used to these to being hit and pushed around the way that he has been, and even if he was in the past, it wasn't guys that were this fast, this big, this strong. So I think that that has been a major adjustment for him, and, and I do think that we've seen clearly uh, his play in the defensive zone is a weakness. I mean, that's something where he's going to have to get better, and I know that it might never be a strength of his, and I know that people have been critical of Quinn for harping on that kind of stuff with him because that's you know, quite frankly, not his game, but you, you, you can't be a liability in the defensive zone right. if, if you want to be a top six player. Uh, and, and I think that adjusting to the physicality, he's, he's clearly not comfortable playing a physical game, adjusting to the responsibilities in the defensive zone. And quite frankly, I think he's going to need to, in the long run, work on his strength and his speed. He, he's not a blazing fast player. And I think that when you don't have the time and space to control the puck and pick your spots the way he did when he was playing in Finland, that if you're also maybe not one of the fastest skaters in the league, that combination is going to make it very difficult for you. Um, So he's got areas of his game to work on clearly, but I think that he's had moments and he's had games that that make you see the potential. I mean, even his Mm -hmm. last game. His last game before the break, I know he didn't get a point in that game, but I thought he looked really, really good. And he he quite clearly seems to um, struggle at times with confidence. But then when his confidence is going well, you can just see that he's got that extra pep in his step. Um, yeah. And I think that the previous game, the, the last game before the break, even though the Rangers lost that one, uh, he, he clearly looked like he was feeling himself that night. And, and that just makes him makes him a much different player. I mean, he got almost 20 minutes of ice time in that game. And uh, yeah. I thought it was one of the better games that he's played. Yeah, he was on. I, I was at that game. and he, It felt like he was always on the ice. It was really nice to see. And, you know, kind of a situation where Panarin wasn't playing. So maybe that's why, you know, he got more ice time. But it was it was fun to see him playing more, for sure. And, and you know what? Like, all the great players are hard on themselves. And he's very clearly hard on himself. And that's something mm-hmm. that he that he struggled with throughout the season. And I mean, part of it is I think that, you know, we've probably gotten more comfortable around each other because we've been together every day for however many months now, but also his English is improving. So that makes it I mean, he's really, really worked hard at that. And he's yeah. done a great job of I mean, at this time last year, I think he was barely speaking any English. And now you can have full conversations with him, which is a credit to him for sure. Oh, yeah. um, but that that conversation that we had that led to the article that you referenced, I felt when I walked away from that, that that he was starting to realize that he couldn't live and die with how many points he's putting up every game and that he had to try to, you know, find smaller positives and look at the look at the long game and, and make sure that he's learning and growing and doing all the things that he needs to set himself up, not just for success in the next game, but, you know, in the games to come and in the seasons to come, because he's obviously got a long way to go in his career. Yeah, he is just 18 years old. It's mind boggling. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but- yeah, but he's, you know, he, he's he's coming along. It's slower than I know some fans were hoping for, but I think we obviously see the potential. I, I, you know, he could have a good second half. I mean, th- that I think I'm really curious to see how he finishes off this season and if he builds a little momentum here that he, he can carry into the next season. But I think that the, the areas he needs to work on, like we talked about, the speed, the physicality, the defensive zone coverage, those are things that, that you hope he'll get better at in the years to come. Cool. So w- one more question, and I think it's a, g- a good one as as we're sitting here in late January uh, or maybe early February when you're listening to this. Um, we talked about this earlier, Vince, but uh, the, the specter of the trade deadline hanging over a, a young team, but a team that is led by some elder statesmen, uh, two of which are, are, you know, prime trade candidates in Chris Kreider and, and potentially Ryan Strom. What is your sense of how the Rangers from a management perspective are going to approach this, this trade deadline coming on February 24th. And then I'd actually just like to get your opinion. What do you think they should do? Uh, but first, you know, do you have a sense of, of how they're approaching it from a management perspective? Yeah. Well, I, I'm actually, it's funny you're asking me this cause I was, I just finished writing about this right before I came on with you guys. This is going to be my next story. I think a lot of the focus has been on 
who the Rangers should trade uh, and what they can get in exchange for these guys. But I really think that the conversations that they're having behind closed doors are much more focused on who they should keep. And this really comes down to, in my mind, six players. So if you look at their salary cap situation, and I've played with a lot of the numbers in the last 24 hours, if you look at their salary cap situation heading into next season, it's tight. We know that they have the big hit from the Kevin Shattenkirk buyout, which is yeah. going to really, really tighten things up for them. They still have Lundqvist on the books for another year. They still have Brendan Smith on the books. They still have Mark Stahl on the books. So they have some – they're limited as to what to, they can afford next year. So when, the six players that I'm going to reference here are, the, are two unrestricted free agents, Chris Kreider and Jesper Faust. And four restricted free agents who are going to be due for significant raises. That's Alex Georgiev, Ryan Strom, Tony D'Angelo, and Brandon Lemieux. As far as I can figure, they are not going to be able to find a way to pay all six of those guys next year. So the question becomes, who do they prioritize keeping? And I think the 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 most likely outcome and the outcome that everybody's been talking about is Chris Kreider. And in a lot of ways, that's because he's probably their biggest trade chip right now. He's the guy that they could, you know, in their mind, they hope fetch a first round pick, maybe a little bit more for, but I, I, I don't think that it's a given that they have to trade Kreider. I think it's a, gr- a given that they have to trade some people. So let's say they trade Kreider. That would free up the money I think that they would need to be able to pay Tony D'Angelo, pay Ryan Strome, um, pay Brendan Lemieux, maybe keep Jesper Fast. And, and as far as I can tell, they could just barely fit, like, let's say, keeping those four if they trade Kreider. Um, right. But now let's say, on the other hand, they decide – because if you look at the depth of the organization right now, they're, they have a lot more – players who you would feel confident if they had to step in on defense or especially we know what their goalie situation is um then they do forwards like if they trade chris Kreider, what does their top six look like next year they have artemi and let's focus on the wing for the sake of this conversation they have artemi panarin obviously he's going to be the number one winger but who are the other three wingers in their top six without chris Kreider? pavel buchnevich Kapo kako and what jesper faust maybe I mean, I know I know yep. a lot of fans aren't happy with him in their top six. I think it's a big ass to expect Vitaly Kratsov to be able to step into the top six, right. six next year. I don't think Brendan Lemieux is a top six winger. So I'm, if you trade Kreider, you leave a big hole and you don't have an obvious way to fill it. Now, the alternative, if they decide that they want to try to cre- keep Kreider, they wouldn't be able to pay all those restricted free agents. I think they're definitely looking into what they can get for Alexander Georgiev. I don't think it's a guarantee that he goes before the trade deadline. I think they could afford to wait until the offseason, but I think that he's an obvious guy that they're going to shop around. But mm-hmm. also, I think Tony D'Angelo is a guy that they have to consider dealing for a few reasons. Number one, they know that they had a tough time getting him into camp this year, and he, based on the season he's having, he's seventh in the in, in the NHL among defensemen in points right now, is going to be due for a pretty significant raise. If you were to be able to move Georgiev, trade D'Angelo, and let Jesper Foss go, I think that that gives you enough money to be able to maybe afford Chris Kreider. So yeah. I think that those are the internal conversations the organization is having right now. Like, can we find a way to move Georgiev, move D'Angelo? Maybe, you know, I know a lot of speculation. There's a lot of teams that have been speculated about, but the Maple Leafs are a team that has voids on defense, voids and goal, and they have a lot of interesting forwards. So could they potentially, you know, maybe move a couple of those restricted free agents and then end up having enough money to sign Chris Kreider? Or do they think that the smartest thing is to trade Chris Kreider, get the most you can for him right now, instead of risking losing him for nothing, and then, you know, open up that money to be able to, you know, keep a guy like D'Angelo and keep a guy like Strom. So it's a really fascinating conversation right now. And I think that those are basically the two ways that they can go. They can decide they want to keep Kreider, which means they have to get rid of other guys, or they can get rid of Kreider, which opens up the possibility of keeping the young restricted free agents that they have right now. Right. And I think the, you know, the real kind of question there, as you said, it's a question of of ability to replace what you lose. I would posit that it's easier to replace a Jesper Foss type uh, than it is a Chris Kreider type. And I think you you would probably agree with that. Yeah, I, I, I think it's tough. I mean, I think in terms of them winning next year. I might, if I were them, and you could find good trade partners and get returns that you're happy with, if you could get rid of Georgiev and D'Angelo and then, you know, let Foss walk in the offseason, I think in terms of putting out the best possible team next year, it makes a lot of sense to consider keeping Kreider. But 
On the other hand, for the long term, I mean, if Kreider is going to be looking for a seven or eight year deal and you don't want to be paying a guy seven or eight million a year when he's in his mid thirties, mm-hmm. I, to- I totally understand that. So it's, it's, there's no easy answer right now. Um, but I also don't think that, uh, I think everyone's kind of just assuming Kreider is going to be the guy to go. I think behind closed doors, they're exploring all these different options that I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes sense, too, about Kreider with the, the length of his deal. That, that's been like a conversation at length. So, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I think this next month is going to be really fun to cover and watch what they do because um, there's just so many different moving parts right now. Absolutely. All right, Vince. Well, listen, we really appreciate the time. We will be... Uh, we will be watching. We will be uh, following you on Twitter. And uh, thanks again for joining us. It's been a it's been a great uh, great chat with you again. First first guest on the podcast. I think you did a, a bang up job. Yeah, guys, I appreciate you having me on. Sorry, I think we ended up going a little bit longer than you were anticipating, but uh, <laughs> hopefully it was worth it. It's good. Not stuff. a problem. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, yeah, that was Vince Mercagliano. Make sure to read all of Vince's work at loha.com. Give him a follow on Twitter at vz mercagliano. Vince, thanks very much. Cool. Thanks, guys. Take care. Once again, our sincere thanks to Vince for spending so much time with us. Live from the Blue Seats is a production of Blue Seat Blogs. Please make sure to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. We're currently available on iTunes, Spotify, and SoundCloud, Google Play as well, and hosted on Acast. If you can spare a minute, please leave us a rating and a review as it helps other fans find the show. Our next episode will drop on Tuesday, February 18th. Check out BlueSeatBlogs.com, the longest-running fan site for all things Rangers, from news and opinion to video analysis and more. For Dave and Becky, this is Rob signing off. We'll see you next time.